Folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Monday, December 31st. It is New Year's Eve, and the Clemson Tigers are heading back to the natty. Which also means that the natty's coming to us. Ben and Sam here with you today to recap uh, the Clemson Tigers beatdown of Notre Dame 30-3 to in the Cotton Bowl on uh, Saturday afternoon and evening. Um, great game, another semifinal blowout by the Clemson Tigers. Uh, I'm here with you today to, to break it down, talk about it, talk about our thoughts heading in to another national championship game. Uh, Sam, we're back here for the third time in four years. It feels pretty good. Yeah, it, it feels just as good as the first one. Uh, there's really not any diminishing returns on this. I know uh, last year and the year before facing Alabama for the second and third times, we talked about how the Alabama fans seemed like they felt like it was old news and not something to get as excited about. They were complacent. I am, I am so excited for this game to get here. Uh, I think it's even bigger because it's coming, like you said, to us. Uh, it's here in the Bay Area, so we get to go see it in person and not have to travel across the country to do it which is super exciting. Um, I'm pumped. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, we, we've had this circled on our calendars for a couple of years now, knowing that this was going to be Trevor Lawrence's first year and the, the, the championship being here in the Bay Area. We we're all pretty excited to have that opportunity to, to possibly see the Tigers come play out here because obviously they don't get out to the West Coast very often. But um, I will have to say this. I've been to two national championships now, one in Phoenix and one in Tampa. And this has to be probably one of the worst places to hold a national championship game, all things considered. Yeah, it's an hour and a half south of the city. The stadium is okay. It's not good for daytime games because it gets amazingly hot on one side of the stadium and it's covered in shadows on the other. The food's good. Um, but yeah, it's a weird place to host a, host a game. Um the only positive from from our side of things is that it's it's here. It's close-ish to where we are. Yeah, we don't have to pay to travel anywhere. We've rented a house down there in Santa Clara. We'll head down there probably Tuesday or sorry Sunday night, uh, joining the festivities. Um, all the 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 college football festivities, unlike when the Super Bowl was here a couple of years ago. Um, all the festivities this time are going to be down in San Jose. So anybody, if you haven't made plans uh, yet coming out here to make the trip, keep that in mind. Um, 
maybe staying in downtown San Francisco is not your best option. But if you do, um, a lot of stuff to see here. You won't have much time to probably take it all in. A lot of people I know are doing a quick travel here after the holidays. You're sh we've seen the plane tickets, uh, the flights, the cost of flights go through the roof. So um, all, all things considered, I don't think this is going to be a, as heavily attended game as we've seen in years past. Certainly, it's not going to be the same uh, demand as Tampa was. And I probably would expect there to be even a, a lesser attendance than in Phoenix, that being Clemson's first time back in whatever, 30 years or so. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, one exception to the nothing in San Francisco event-wise is that there are hosted events at uh, our local Clemson bar, both Sunday night and for the game on Monday. Uh, that's the boardroom in North Beach. So if you are coming from out of town and you're going to be in San Francisco for the game and not going down to Santa Clara to actually watch it in person or tailgate down there. Uh, there is a bar in North Beach in San Francisco to watch, and there will be many Clemson fans there to watch with you. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, if you're making the trip into San Francisco for the cost of your bar tab for this game, you can probably get a ticket day of uh, for the same price. So not sure why people would uh, to travel not to go to the game, but you know, if that's your thing, yeah, go hit up the boardroom. They take care of us. Um, they've been doing so for six years now and, and running. And uh, if you are in the city, like Sam mentioned, on Sunday night prior to the game, they'll be holding an event uh, in combination with North Star Bar across the street, whose owners, was um, his son, yeah, goes to, goes to Clemson. He's a junior, so, yeah. Yeah, so good connection there. But, yeah, all in all, we're super pumped to, to have everything out here. The We'll, we'll do a little tailgate. Uh, down in Santa Clara. So anybody listening that wants to get in touch with us, you know how Clemson podcast at gmail.com um, at Clemson podcast on Facebook and Twitter, hit us up. We'll be around. We live here. We know the ins and, in, ins and outs. Um, Sam, if you had to give people advice again, if you only got a day in San Francisco or so, I would say avoid at all costs fisherman's wharf, unless you um, do manage to score a ticket to Alcatraz. That's certainly worth doing, but I would say avoid Fisherman's Wharf. Nothing to see there. Maybe go see Chinatown. That's always interesting for people who haven't experienced uh, stuff like that from out of town. Um, but go up to the Marin Headlands. Go see the Golden Gate Bridge. Go stand on the, the cliffs there above the bridge. It's one of the most uh, breathtaking sights in the city. You're looking back into the city, so that's something to do for sure, but uh, yeah, uh, it's too much to do to get it done in one day. Pretty much everybody traveling out here is coming primarily for the natty. Absolutely. I, I agree on avoiding Fisherman's Wharf if you are coming out. Um, like you said, Alcatraz is awesome if you can do it. Uh, something that I would recommend is for your night or two in San Francisco, make sure you go to a good dinner. Uh, there are Absolutely. a million food options in San Francisco. It's something that we do incredibly well. Um, don't waste the opportunity to have an awesome meal. And there are many around that don't you don't have to pay a million dollars for so um and use yelp find, yeah find the best yelp, place find don't some go to places. the first place that has the flashiest brightest sign because that's more than likely going to be a tourist trap yeah so take advantage of the amazing food scene and uh try to stay away from the major tourist attractions if you can they're Sometimes they're worth it. Uh, Lombard Street's fun for people who haven't seen it. It takes like five minutes to go down. Um, a lot of people come and want to see the the full house houses, uh, things like that. So they're around. There's lots lots of stuff in the neighborhood. Painted and, Ladies, Golden Gate Park, all that yep. good stuff. Golden Gate Park's always fun. Um, generally, besides Golden Gate Park and the beach, 
the eastern side of town has a little bit more stuff. So if you're going to stay in town, you're still looking for hotels, try to get on that side of things. It's easier for transportation uh, for like BART or Bay Area uh, subway system and for Caltrain, which will take you down to Santa Clara. So that would be my advice. Um, yeah, but otherwise, you know, if you're making the trip out here, enjoy it, uh, kick back and relax and just kind of take in the, the moment of Clemson being back here for the third time in four, uh, four years and the fourth straight year being in the college football playoff. Sam, I do want to reflect a little bit on that. You know, you, you mentioned this a bit earlier, um, comparing us to kind of Alabama fans and kind of getting that complacency of you know, what it would feel like to win over and over again. Well, Clemson's only won one national championship in this run. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not we get two, and then we'll talk about how we feel after that. But, you know, one of the cool things about college football and college sports really that's different than professional sports is this isn't like Tom Brady and the Patriots going back year in and year out. Um, because these kids graduate and they move on in life or to the NFL um, or to wherever they may get a job. And so there is turnover on the roster. This Clemson team that's going to be out there on the field, while it does have some guys that were part of that uh, 2016 national championship team and also really the, the 2015 um, uh, national championship run, runners-up, still a very different-looking team coming into this game. So that, I think, helps um, prevent things from becoming too stale when you're seeing this Clemson-Alabama matchup once again. You know, Clemson has yet to face Tua Tagovailoa, uh, um, played Jalen Hurts the last couple of years. So I know people are griping, same two teams again, but to be honest with you, they're the best two teams in college football, and it, it, there's a different cast of characters. Yeah, I mean, we've got the, the stalwarts, the seniors like Christian Wilkins, who have been here for all of it, but we also have a new starting quarterback ourselves in Trevor Lawrence, um, a running back who was just sort of finding his way last year at this point, but ETN has come into his own and is the ACC player of the year this year. We've got guys who have stepped up in other roles. T Higgins has made a huge impact. Justin Ross freshman, who's had a, a major impact on the team this year. Uh, and like you said, Alabama Tua, we haven't faced yet. Um, <clears throat> and their receiving core, they've got a mix of, of, upperclassmen and and freshmen and sophomores that we haven't seen yet so it's it's not like it's going to be the same game and the same tactics that we've seen in previous games no and then you've got the the hype behind Clemson starting defensive line coming back for this year we'll uh, talk about the Dexter, Dexter Lawrence effect and what that may have if he's not able to uh, uh, win an appeal in that suspension but yeah again f for a large part a different cast of characters even the guys that were on the team back then weren't necessarily getting a lot of the, a lot of the snaps. So um, different, certainly different than professional sports. And I think that's one of the things that keeps, keeps on uh, making it entertaining for me. Now, that being said, what, what hasn't been entertaining for me uh, because we're so used to such an elite level of football and watching Clemson for the past uh, four years is the other games start to kind of take a lesser role in my mind. They're, they're not as entertaining. Um, I would say just because of the, the quality of football on the field. And again, I can point no further than these semi semifinal games. There's really such a chasm between the, the upper echelon teams and the next guys up. Now, you know, to be fair, I think when you probably go back and look at it, Georgia and Ohio state were better teams than both Notre Dame and Oklahoma. But you know, this is how things played out. And if, if there is any gripe to be had with this, it is that the, the semifinal games have been pretty uh, boring for the most part just because there's been so many blowouts. Yeah, there's been blowouts across the board. Uh, but like you said, 
most of bowl season kind of loses its luster when we've been so lucky to be in the college football playoff for the last four years. Um, you get games like the Cheez-It Bowl between TCU and Cal with nine interceptions and an overtime victory for TCU that felt like a punishment of some sort. Yeah, but, I don't think I don't think anybody can claim victory in that game. No, um, but I think it's we'll talk about it more, I'm sure. But the uh, the the blowouts at the semifinal level of of the playoff. I don't know. Like you said, I think it's really just there's a giant gap between the top two teams right now in college football, and it's been happening for years that the semifinals have been blowouts. But the last two or three years, especially Alabama, obviously has been incredible, and we have been right there with them. Uh, a lot of people expected that semifinal last year to be essentially the the play in game. Whoever was going to win that was probably going to go on and beat Georgia. Um, as it you know, worked to, be, out. to be fair to those guys last year, Clemson was the lone blowout in the semi, and it wasn't really a blowout, but they were handled uh, pretty easily by Alabama. But Oklahoma gave Georgia a game, yep, and Georgia gave Alabama a game. So yep. we I had think, some good you know, games last year. You know, those other teams really stepped up, and I, I think this year, you know, Georgia too had a lead on Alabama once again, the the second time in less than a calendar year. They probably should have beat them. Um, so I would put Georgia right up there as well. Yep. And the important thing after all of the blowouts in the semifinals is that the last three years, the college football championship games have been amazing. Um, the two between us and Alabama that we split came down to the last minute in both games, the last second when, when we won, obviously in 2016. Um, and last year's game with Tua in the second half was an amazing comeback. One of the best we've ever seen. Um, so I think that we have something good to look forward to in this championship game, despite those big blowouts. In the yeah, so I, I think you know nobody can deny the fact that ultimately the two best teams have made it into the championship game. Yeah, I agree. I think this is certainly this year. Um, there's no argument. We were the front runners the entire year. We both took care of business. Uh, the teams that were undefeated, sorry UCF, got their chance. Um, Notre Dame got into the playoff. We showed what they were made of, which was pretty much paper mache. Um, and we, I mean, we're here. We're ready for the championship. Yeah, so it's uh, it's quite a phenomenal feeling. It, it It's awesome to be covering this and being so dialed in for these past four years and, and watching the, the teams grow and mature and watching the coaching staff grow and mature. It's it's a different way of going about things this year than it was four years ago, starting back in 2015. Um, the way that the, the coaches use the personnel, it's almost like hockey lines, you know, where you've got your, 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 your first team guys, your second team guys, your third team guys, and you know, you're going to play them all to keep them fresh. Um, it's different than you see any other teams really doing in college football. So, um, and, and that's a big benefit for Clemson and why we've been recruiting so well. It's not because not only can the coaches tell you that you're going to play early and often in meaningful minutes here, they're also going to tell you you can play in a playoff game your first year. Yeah, it's a pretty big draw for, for recruits. Um, it doesn't really get much better than the chance to get meaningful minutes in a championship game scenario. You think Josh Belk is rethinking his decision? Hey, he played in his namesake bowl. He, he did. did. He did it. He made it this year. What that score end up was like twenty eight nothing to Virginia. Yeah, it was. It was the last time Virginia shut out a team like that. Um, couldn't happen to a better bunch though. Um, 
Well, so, Sam, uh, let's go ahead and get into this uh, breaking down of the Notre Dame game. Okay, this was actually the first meeting between undefeated teams in college football playoff history. Um, and I think what I want to start off with is experience matters. You know, these seniors on this Clemson football team have been to three natties in the past four years. Uh, the Tigers are 4-2 and two in college football playoff games, 3-0 and oh against everyone not named Alabama. Um, the average margin of victory in the playoffs against teams that are not Alabama is 26 points. And then this was our ninth straight win this season by 20 or more points. So, yeah, Notre Dame had a, a, a solid year, 12-0. and 0. Um, It's hard to go undefeated. But at the end of the day, it's that experience from this Clemson football team. They had that edge over Notre Dame, and not to mention the talent. Yeah, I mean, we, we look to be the far superior team in this game uh, against a team that was supposedly the number four overall S&P defense this year. We put up 30 points, and we should have and could have put up a lot more had we kept our starters in. We started putting people in in the third quarter to get reps. Um, so it was it was just a, an utter blowout, and the defense was obviously incredible, only giving up three points. Uh, they made Notre Dame look incredibly soft by stripping the ball two or three times throughout the game. Uh, running through their offensive line like it was not even there at times. It was a really fun game to watch if you're a fan of Clemson sports, uh, which obviously we are, and our guys really showed up. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Notre Dame was only down 9-3 to with just other, under two minutes to go in the first half, but even at that point, and this has happened several times this year, you just get the sense, the feeling in the game, that there's nothing Notre Dame could do to beat this Clemson team, that eventually that they would impose their will on offense, and the defense wasn't going to budge. Yep, and we scored 20 points in that second quarter, uh, and we now have scored, I think, 211 points this year in second quarters, which is the most in any quarter um, since I think 2015 for any team, which is pretty cool. Um, but we just, I mean, the last five minutes of the, the first half were utter domination on our part. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Tigers scored those 27 unanswered points after Notre Dame tied it up three to three with uh, four and a half minutes left in the first quarter. And you're right. That second quarter is when they really took off. And, uh, that's kind of been the story all year. That's, that's not an anomaly. It's usually start to see this offense get into gear, in the second quarter, and it played out in this game. Yep. Um, Trevor Lawrence really found his stride in that second quarter. Uh, Justin Ross had an incredible game um, highlighted by those two touchdown catches in the second. Uh, he also had a really huge catch up the seam that was not for a touchdown. Um, but it was just, they looked great. Yeah, and you know, that... You give a kid like that, and we talk about it every single year, once you get out of the regular season and you get into that extra bowl practice, certain guys, uh, it, it clicks with them during that time off. Now, it's not to say it didn't click with Justin Ross early this, earlier this year. We've seen the talent and his, uh, his potential throughout the course of the year, but you got to think that three extra weeks of practice really helps these true freshmen. And, and another guy, Isaiah Simmons, I think, may have really turned the corner too. He played really great in this game. He had a great game. Uh, I was also pretty pleased with Albert Huggins filling in and Niles Pinkney filling in for um, Dexter Lawrence while he was out. And they just did a good job filling the gaps. They didn't have a lot of big numbers in the game, uh, not a lot of sacks or tackles or anything, but they 
stop the run like they were supposed to. They picked up multiple blockers on multiple occasions. Um, they did what they were, their job was, and yeah. it helped the other guys really get loose. And you saw that in Austin Bryant's performance in this game, which was out of this world. Yeah, he was out of his mind. Um, but yeah, really no noticeable drop-off with Dexter Lawrence not being in this football game. Now, that's not going to be the same story against Alabama, so we'll need to really hope uh, for him to be able to come back and have all hands on deck there. Um, but for this game, it, it did not turn out to be a factor. Um, I, I want to touch on a couple things when you hear from the Notre Dame crowd and, and specifically uh, uh, Brian Kelly. Um, a few of the excuses, you know, talking about Clemson being opportunistic with Julian Love going down in the first half. Well, you know, we didn't have decks. Okay. So you lose guys, you lose some of your best players. Julian Love came back. We still put up 30 points. I know he's an NFLer. He's a great cornerback and, and certainly affected things, but you know what? That's on you for your depth, not being um, as talented and as up to the task as the, the opposing team like Clemson has. So, um, yeah, it does hurt when you lose your, you know, an NFL or a future NFL, but you got to be able to, 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 to plug in those gaps um, when somebody goes down if you want to be an elite football team and play an elite level and um, vis-a-vis or, you know, playing a team like Alabama. Absolutely. I mean, these lineups, all three of them, uh, all four of them are filled with future NFL players. Um, that's, there's a reason these teams make it to the college football playoff, right? They're filled with incredible talent and they all recruit incredibly well. You've got a guy like Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray for Oklahoma, who is an NFL and major league baseball talent. You've got a million guys on this team in Alabama who will make at least a cup of coffee in the NFL. Uh, Notre Dame, same thing. So when one goes down, you've got to be able to fill that gap with passable performances from their from the backups, right? And we got that from our guys. And when Love went down and uh, Gilman was out for a couple plays and, and they had injuries throughout the game, Notre Dame actually had a lot of guys go down for a few plays. They all pretty much came back except for Love, I, th- Love, I think. Um, well, Love ended up coming back in the second half. Yeah, so they all missed sections of the game, not the whole thing. Um, but we took advantage and that's what you have to do. That's adjustments in game. Uh, that's the bottom line is it's that next man up mentality, which Clemson is for- fortunate to have. We, and again, we talk about the depth and we talk about how much personnel they use. Um, you had second string guys again in early on this game. So didn't seem to affect them. And that's uh, one of the big reasons why the Tigers are heading the national championship again. Um, and then the replays, I, I can't recall in uh, my life of watching Clemson football, of uh, us getting so many replays go our way, and, and legitimately so. Yeah, we had a bunch that went our way. Obviously, the, the Darian Kendrick fumble on the return early in the game was huge. Uh, instead of giving up the ball on like the 13-yard line, we got it back and we were able to drive, and I think we ended up punting on that drive, but it uh, it swung the momentum heavily. Uh the Dex, or not Dex, but uh, Klee got a fumble force. They got overturned, and we got oh, the ball. Book, yep. What an amazing play on that one. Um, there was one the that, Trevor Lawrence interception. Yep. Um, the only one that really didn't go our way, which it couldn't be reviewed, actually, is Ohio, uh, or sorry, Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons, yeah. Yeah, his, that uh, was, his, his strip. That um, was a shame because he, he made an amazing play on that one to strip it and 
recover it all in one motion while taking the guy down to the ground. Yeah, so all in all, I don't think you can really gripe about the officiating in this game. I mean, really, if, if there are any gripes, it's on the Clemson side with some of those questionable pass interference calls and non-calls, depending on which side. Uh, yeah, the there, was, there were definitely a couple that worked in our favor on that front as well. There was a, an A.J. Terrell um, coverage that almost certainly should have been called as pass interference on about the two-yard line on one play. Uh, but there were a bunch of others that I couldn't see the pass interference, and they called, I think, three of them throughout the game. Um, and at least two of those were highly questionable. Yeah, Sam, so let's continue on focusing on the offense here. Um, you mentioned that Notre Dame came in with the number four S&P defense. They were 18th against the rush and 8th against the pass. Um, you know, they came into the Cotton Bowl um, focused on trying to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence and make him make freshman mistakes. But uh, the offensive line, for the most part, it was a little slow early. They, they were letting uh, some pressure get to Trevor Lawrence, but they did well for the most part uh, in pass blocking all day long. And, you know, I thought Trevor Lawrence did a good job with his legs, escaping some pressure and making some good decisions to get rid of the ball. Yeah, Trevor bailed us out the first couple drives uh, when the line was a little shaky. After that, they were great. Uh, there were a couple plays where the pocket collapsed and he got sacked. <clears throat> but otherwise, throughout the game, I thought the line played fantastically well. Uh, they opened up holes for the running game as well. We ended up with more than 200 rushing yards again this game. Obviously, that 62-yard touchdown run by ETN um, in the third was the highlight. But the uh, the line looked great, and Trevor did not look uh, like he was struggling at all to deal with the pressure. He, no, he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't look like a freshman, to be honest. He's unflappable. For the most part, he hasn't all year, and you have to think, listen, he's been through a spring practice. He's been through fall camp. He's now got an entire regular season under his belt, and now he's turning the corner into the playoffs. So, you know, you know, he, this is a lot different than a true freshman that comes in in the fall. The, this kid has some experience um, he's beat out an ingrained starter in Kelly Bryant, and he's put this team on his shoulders. And you've seen the offense flourish with him under center this year. Um, and we just look at that second quarter, 13 to 15 passing for 229 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, really can't say uh, much more about the kid. And you just hope to continue to see some improvement going into the Alabama game. Uh, let's touch back now on the, on the running game real quick. I will say this. It is a bit concerning to me that, the offensive line was not able to get a big push early on, and we were slow getting the running game started. Now, eventually, we did wear Notre Dame down, and you could start to see ETN in that third quarter pick up some chunk plays, and you just had a feeling that it was, you know, any moment there, he was going to bust a big one. Yeah, in fact, the announcers were talking about it during the game, about two plays before he broke that touchdown run uh they were saying any minute you're gonna see etn try and break one out for a touchdown he then ran it for like 10 yards on one play and two plays later ran it for the 62 yard 62 yard touchdown um you could see them like you said you could see them starting to give way and those holes to get wider and wider um i, I just think we the running game just showed how much more talented we are than them uh because our our offensive line has been doing it to teams all year um making holes for Travis and he, he creates his own through breaking, breaking tackles and, and being massively faster than everyone else. Um, and he's really held up uh, this year, whereas he wore down a little bit last year, putting on that extra weight is, is help. But then look, you got guys like Tavian Feaster and Adam choice right behind you. 
Um, Joyce with only two carries on the day, but you know, he had 30, yeah. 30 yards on and Tavian Feaster averaged five yards a carry. He got 20 yards on four carries. And, you know, these, these are two guys you're going to need in a game against Alabama because that's going to be the toughest defense we, we face all year. And these guys are going to get beat up. So having some hard nose, hard nose runners is certainly going to help. Um, something that, uh, Tony Elliott did uh, well in this game, an adjustment that he made. You know, Notre Dame was really focused on stopping ETN and bottling him up. And again, for the most part in the first half, they did that. But started calling some design quarterback runs on the zone read, um, getting Trevor Lawrence active with his legs. You saw him break off some big runs there. Yeah, Chase Bryce did it as well late in the game. Um, <clears throat> I liked the wrinkles that, that the coordinators put into the game this week. Um, there was a a play early on first or second drive where uh, there was a little running back screen to ETN to get a first down uh, on third and short that we don't see a lot. ETN has like six receptions all year or something like that. It's really low. Um, but if you can get the ball in his hands in space, he can create plays and the quarterback runs are the same thing. Trevor Lawrence is faster than we think. Um, if he's got open space, he can cover ground faster with his six foot six legs. He's no paid than a lot of people. No, he's he's fast. Much he's not super shifty. Yeah, he's not shifty, but he has a little bit of wiggle and uh, can cover a lot of ground really fast. So I, I really like to play calling this week. That's not something we normally say uh, with regards to Clemson. The last couple of years, we usually have frustrations um, in you know not using the right players the right way. I thought they called a really good game this week. Yeah, and let's, you know, all that being said, I will point out that Clemson probably left some points on the board there. Absolutely. And it's not like the offense completely dominated. Um, it was some big passes to guys like Justin Ross and T. Higgins that, that put points up on the board. But when, when you go back and take a look at it, and I kind of do, uh, dove into this, looking at Clemson and their success rate on third down conversion, you know, Clemson's 25th in the country right now, third down conversions, uh, converting at 44.4%. They were nine of 18 in this game. So at 50, which was a, you know, a touch higher Bama's number two in the country at 53.9%. But I think going into the Bama game that we really need to stay out of uh, second and third and longs, because that's what limited us uh, scoring in this game against Notre Dame. We had 11 uh, second and third downs, which I would consider long plays. When I, when I think of uh, a long down a distance, I go, Second and eight, uh, third and six, um, I consider kind of a long down a distance. And counting those up, we had uh, 11 of those downs where we were facing, um, uh, where 11 of those downs that ended up ending drives. It was six drives total. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's because of a, a, a penalty at a bad time or a sack. There was only one penalty and one sack and all of that. The rest are incompletions. And those are correctable things. Uh, which is something we really do need to c correct because even though we are in a lot better shape with Trevor Lawrence being under center and we feel more comfortable with him being able to convert on those long down a distance, um, we were essentially 8 and 11 in converting uh, uh, throughout the, the game. So much less than, than 50% on those. So staying out of those long down a distance, especially on second down. I, I find when I'm looking through the stats is when we get behind the chains on second down, that's when we have the harvest problem converting. Yeah, early on in the game, we had we were averaging more than eight yards per per play on first down, uh, and that sort of tapered off throughout the game. I don't know what it ended up at for the for the game on first down, but we definitely saw a lot more of those second and third and longs later in the game, and 
it just puts you in such a good position if you can get four, five, six, seven yards on first down. Uh, it's a huge weapon. Uh, and I think part of what makes Alabama and us so good uh, on third down conversions is that we don't put ourselves in the position that we have to get five plus yards on third downs regularly. And when we do get short uh, yardage opportunities, we've got a million ways that we can get that first down. You can have the running back get it up the middle. You can have the running back get it outside. You can throw a short slant. You can throw a bomb. You can have the quarterback run it. There's just so many options, especially with our receiving cores, that it it makes it much easier to convert. You have on a third and two as opposed to like a third and six, a third and eight or something like that. And, you know, those long third downs really open you up to a bigger risk of interceptions. Yep. Um, so really just yeah, making it easier on yourself. Um, more convertible third downs, uh, I think, is something this team really needs to focus on because we're going to go up against an elite defense, the, the the best defense we've played all year in Alabama. And if you're not good on those things, if you're putting yourself behind the chains like that, a team like Alabama is going to make you pay. And yeah. especially we can't afford to not convert on these when we're deep in our own territory because God knows Will Spires is not going to flip the field. Yeah. Uh, a really good example of the dangers you face when you put yourself in third and long is the drive uh, when Austin Bryant had two sacks in a row and then we blitzed on third down right up the middle and got knee in book's face and he threw it up and Isaiah Simmons had that great deflection, uh, which had he been in slightly better position would have been a pretty easy interception. Um, that's what you can't avoid when it's third and long, right? They, the defensive coordinators will send massive amounts of blitzers. Uh, they'll scheme to put you in positions that are are totally dis, uh, at a disadvantage for you, right? It just it gives them too many options and it limits yours because you have to get that huge chunk play. Yeah, so I, I think if Clemson should go on to lose to Alabama and we sputter on offense, I would I would look to that as being one of the culprits. I, I would estimate if that was the case, then we would have trouble um, converting on thirds downs likely because we were facing some third and longs there. But uh, it certainly helps when you have guys like Justin Ross and T. Higgins on the field. Justin Ross broke the Cotton Bowl uh, record for receiving yards in the first half with 137. He had six catches for 148 yards and two touchdowns on the day. Um, and then Higgins with that juggling catch there at the end of the second half to put what the Tigers catch. up. To put the Tigers up, uh, what, 20 to 23 to 3 at that point? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and you're seeing a lot more of, uh, especially with, uh, we're not getting the, the tight end play that we would like to, at least in the passing game this year. And it certainly doesn't help with breaking Galloway, not being in the game because Tully mentioned this in the preview episode. And I was thinking the same thing is that, you know, I don't think we wasted, uh, a red shirt for Galloway to only have five receptions this year. I think they were probably cooking something up for a role from him a la OJ Howard, Absolutely. Um, a couple of years ago it, it, here in the playoffs. So, um, but what you do see in place of that is having Justin Ross and T Higgins on the field at the same time, which almost assures you that one of those guys is going to end up matched up with a safety, which is a total mismatch. Yeah. Uh, I thought our receivers totally outshone the two receivers. Ross and Higgins were far better than Claypool and Boykin for Notre Dame in this game. And, and part those of are that, two good receivers. They, they are incredibly good, and they're huge. Uh, they're both 6'4", just like Ross and Higgins, uh, except they're thicker. Uh, Ross and Higgins are 2'10 each, 
Uh, I think Claypool and Boykin are in the 230 to 225 range. Um, so they're really big, strong, fast receivers. And part of that credit for shutting them down uh, goes to our cornerbacks because AJ Terrell and Trayvon Mullen had fantastic games against them without taking into account the couple of pass interference calls that got called. We talked about those already a little bit iffy on a few of them. Um, but our, our receivers went up and got the ball in this game. Uh, Justin Ross and T Higgins made some incredible catches. T Higgins touchdown catch is obviously the highlight of that. Um, it was, it was fun to watch them battle with a very good secondary and come out just miles ahead of where we could have hoped uh, in that game, you yeah, that's you where T Higgins dropping some balls too. Absolutely, normally might catch him. Mean, he had that one in the end zone that it got okay, called back to penalty was, anyway. But was a holding yeah. calls so that didn't matter, but still, you got to catch that. Yeah, uh, that was you, you that better was be catching that on Monday. Yeah, absolutely, coming Monday. So, well, that pretty much wraps it up for the offense. It wasn't a perfect day uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but again, this was technically the number four defense in the nation and to put up thirty points and pretty damn you know, good. And make the plays when you needed to. It was good to see that out there. Um, let's see them get better uh, with a week here to go into the national championship game against Alabama. Uh, so with that, let's uh, move on to the defense here. Okay, the number one defense in the nation held Notre Dame to 248 total yards on the day, only 88 yards rushing. Uh, they allowed no rushing play longer than 11 yards on the day. Really bottled up Dexter Williams. I think coming into this game, you know, I was mentioning to one of my Notre Dame buddies, is that the team that was able to establish the run the run game um, and dominate in it was probably going to win this game, all things being equal. If neither team really got it going in the run game, I was going to say just Clemson wins out on, on talent alone, and that turned out to be the case. Um, but we mentioned it, not really much of a step down with Dexter Lawrence. Uh, being out there and really cool to see him kind of put on his coach's hat to stay involved there in anticipation of possibly coming back next week. Um, even the second stringers along the line were dominating in this game. Yeah. Late in the game, we saw, you know, Logan Rudolph and uh, Shaq Smith and Albert Huggins, obviously was still in there. Jordan Williams got some good playing time in uh, Pinkney was in, but we had so many sacks and tackles for loss from guys who don't even normally see the field. Uh, Justin Foster had a sack and a tackle and a half for loss. Xavier Thomas had a tackle for loss and was all over the place um, pestering Ian Book. Shaq Smith got his first career sack. Uh, our second string defense dominated what is supposedly one of the best lines of the country. Um, it was really good to see them pulling through. And like we saw after the game, they did it for big decks. Uh, they had that on their shirts as a team. Um, it was a really good way to to help him feel like he was a part of it, and he was on the sideline cheering everybody on every step of the way. Yeah, so just an amazing performance given all the, uh, um, the, the controversy and the adversity that they were facing this week with Dex being out. Um, I was uh, really interested to see what the coaches were going to do. You know, Albert Huggins is more of a three-tech uh, filling in for Dexter Lawrence, who's a four-tech. But uh, he was incredibly disruptive in this game. One tackle, one QB hurry. But you saw him in and close to a lot of – and around a lot of plays. But also some switching up of the personnel and formations. Um, I saw at one point they had moved Christian Wilkins over to the four-tech, uh, moved Clee into the three. Mm -hmm. um, 
Austin Bryant then over to Cleese Strong's side position and insert X, uh, Xavier Thomas opposite him at his normal weak side rushing position. So, you know, there's really, a lot of fun play with yeah, the really good line. job of of compensating for the loss of Dexter Lawrence, and I think a lot of that helped open it up for Austin Bryant's amazing game. We mentioned that earlier: six total tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks. One QB hurry. Have yourself a game, Mr. Bryant. Um, I think both him and Mr. Huggins moved up, inched up the draft boards just a little bit after that game. Yeah, I think at some point in the game, they said Huggins was the 17th ranked uh, tackle on Mel Kuyper's big board. I bet if he does that again next week, he moves up to top 12, top 10. Um, and obviously, Austin Bryant had an amazing game. He was our defensive player of the game. And if you don't want that guy on your team as an NFL uh, GM, then you're not watching because he, he can get after the quarterback and he can cover the run. He had a great game. Yeah. So listen, this defensive line lived up to the building, uh, the billing, even without Dexter Lawrence. And that just goes to show you how good all of these guys are that yes, it sucks to lose Dexter Lawrence. He's an incredible talent, but the other guys on this defensive line are incredibly talented as well. You're not going to just take one guy down and have the whole thing collapse. And not to mention the backups are really good as well and have NFL futures ahead of them. Um, so yeah, really great day getting pressure uh, on Ian Book by the defensive line and also bottling up uh, Dexter Williams there in the run game. Uh, but I, I think really the story of all of this is the coverage uh, by the linebackers and the secondary and how good a job they did um, on the day. Isaiah Simmons, we mentioned, he was really good in coverage. Um, he keeps getting better the more he plays at that nickel Sam position. Um, so really good on him. Um, and then in the secondary, I mean, first great job in coverage on that trick play in the second quarter by Notre Dame. But I would say for the most part all day, there was really great downfield covers throughout the game that they really made Ian book have to scramble and get out of the pocket. And there was just no outlet, no release for him there. Yeah. That intermediate area where we have struggled throughout the season with handoffs between the, <clears throat> the linebackers and the secondary was smooth this week. Um, we had a lot of guys just making really awesome handoffs, no gaps where there was, you know, a 10, 15 yard chunk play because we blew the handoff. Um, we still played zone and man, it was a mix just like it normally is. So it wasn't any drastic changes um, to the defensive strategy, I don't think, but it was really cleanly executed by everybody in the secondary uh, and the linebacking core. And like you said, Isaiah Simmons was awesome. He had two passes defensed in this game. Um, Nolan Turner had his, had a pick, right? AJ Terrell and Trayvon Mullen, we already talked about. Come on, Wallace had a bunch of really good tackles in run coverage and those short passing routes that they got completed when they did get completed. It was a team effort and everybody really came through. Yeah, AJ Terrell also coming up and making some stops as well. He played really physical um, against those bigger wide receivers. And you could tell uh, watching him and Mullen out there that there was certainly a size difference between the guys that were com uh, covering. And that resulted in some pass interference calls, mm -hmm. um, which I'm not going to gripe on those too much. I'm more, um, I'm less, I was less concerned about those than I was about the non call against uh, T. Higgins. But um, yeah, yeah, no. Not a lot of missed assignments or blown coverages that plagued us in the South Carolina game. So in all in all, uh, just a superb defensive performance uh, for this football team. Um, I think there were some things that tighten up a little bit. Uh, Notre Dame wasn't just going three and out every time. 
No, um, they, they were the they were picking up some small chunk plays here and there. You know, they didn't have a pass longer than what twenty three yards on the day, so they they weren't picking up huge chunk plays. Um, it was more like seven, eight yards here and there on a first down, mm-hmm. getting a couple first downs before they stalled things out. But uh, you know, again, back to the personnel and the way the coaches use these players. Um, you know, the first team guys are in there for the majority of the, the first into the second quarters. But what you'll start to see is those second string guys start to come in until a team starts moving in, inching closer to the red zone. And then we pop the first team guys back in there, fresh rested, and they make the stop. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about on our end of things, not wanting to get into third and long situations. Uh, I think the defense put themselves in good shape heading into second and third and longs. Uh, we got a lot of good stops on first down. Once the defense got uh, up and running, they also struggled a little early in the game uh, to slow Notre Dame down on first down, but later in the game, they did much better. Uh, That's evidenced by the fact that Notre Dame had 35 rushes for 88 yards total in the game, two and a half yards a carry. Uh, Dexter Williams and Ian Book accounted for the vast majority of those carries. Um, Yeah, Ian Book actually led the team in carries with 17. I think that's partly because we sacked him a lot. So you get negative yards on those rushes, air quotes. Um, But also we just, we harried him and he had to run for his life and try and scramble to get some yardage. Um, And so he ended up with 17 carries for 30 yards, which brings that average down a ton. But Dexter Williams, their guy who had more than a thousand yards rushing in eight games, still only had 16 carries for 54 yards. We completely shut him down and it really crippled their passing game as well because we put them in such bad positions um, that they had to make amazing plays to even try and get to first downs a lot of times. Yeah, so what it really comes down to, it's all about the run game. On both sides of the ball for for this Clemson team this year, they lead the nation in yards per rush on offense with 6.7 yards a carry. And then on defense... They lead the nation in yards allowed with only 2.4. That's a plus 4.3 yard uh, difference. So for every one-to-one time we run the ball on somebody, we have a 4.3 yard advantage. It was 3.2 in this game, and it's certainly likely to go down against uh, Alabama. But as long as we have that advantage, you like your chances. Yeah, absolutely. It makes for a huge advantage when you're accounting for field position throughout the game. Um you know, we, we have to make up for it with our lack of special teams. Uh, Will Spires had a weak showing in this game uh, with his few punts that he had. Um, average yeah, I saw a good comment um, on one of the message boards asking if we could get Spires some uh, Osterine. Osterine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, maybe it would help, maybe not. But he certainly is just below average as a punter and it's not um, it's not that his leg strength is lacking it's no because everyone's hitting he the balls. one yeah. he just he just doesn't have the skill to be a successful punter at this point um but yeah i, I think back to the the running game it, it just really helps when we can get five yards instead of three on every carry and the defense or the teams that we're playing against can't do that against our defense um you know and it doesn't hurt to have a guy like etn who can cover an extra 15 yards in a 20 yard span against a defender. Who's got a huge uh, field position advantage uh, like he did on that touchdown in this game. Well, bottom line is, is that this game looked just like another ACC regular season game, in my opinion. And in my opinion, Notre Dame should be a full fledged member of the ACC. And that should have been a championship ACC championship game matchup. Um, That'll help filter Notre Dame out 
when they're a little bit hyped more than usual um, in the help avoid some of these blowouts um, just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, you know, the Clemson Tigers proved it on the field that Notre Dame probably didn't belong to be there, even though I, I still have to say at 12-0 and 0 that they earned a shot. Uh, but it's kind of unfair to other teams when you're not playing in a league, you're not having to go through a con- conference championship game, and you're sitting there at home eating popcorn, watching teams play in that last week of the season with a college football playoff berth on the line. Yeah, I mean, they get an extra week of, of prep uh, in these Didn't sorts help. of scenarios. Didn't help them this time. Um, you know, it, it's it's a weird situation. They're one of two or three independent schools in FBS um, the other ones usually end up joining conferences eventually. Um, you'll get a new team into FBS every couple of years and then they'll be independent for a year potentially and then join, um, a conference, but it's, it's a very weird situation. It can work to their advantage as it did this year, but generally I agree. I'm in favor of them joining a conference and having to go through the gauntlet like every other team in the country does. Well, we'll see him again in 2020. So, uh, Notre Dame fans, that'll be Trevor Lawrence's uh, junior year. Good luck with that. Um, so that wraps it up for a recap here of the Notre Dame game and the Cotton Bowl. The Clemson Tigers uh, once again are heading back to the college football playoff with with just a, a, a beatdown of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in a game that really could have been worse than uh, than the final score indicated. So. Uh, great to see the Tigers playing so well. There are areas that, that are needed. Um, uh, there's definitely some needed improvement going into the Alabama game because, um, in my estimation, this Alabama team is going to be head and shoulders above anybody that, that Clemson's seen this year. Let's get into that. Yeah, so let's stick on here looking at Alabama here for a second. I want to talk about the Oklahoma game and then just uh, kind of looking forward uh, a, a brief preview of our matchup. We'll get in depth a little bit later. Yeah, they are really, really good. Uh, early on in the season, their their defense struggled a bit. Um, they pulled it together the last few weeks, and they're up to, I think, sixth or seventh in S&P. Eighth now. Eighth now. Um, yeah, seventh in defense. Um, but... It, their defense is as strong as it usually is. It's not, you know, the world beating team that it was a couple of years ago on defense, but it's incredibly good. Uh, probably better than Notre Dame's is despite the numbers. Uh, one area where they're a little bit weaker is they tend to give up some chunk plays. Uh, they're more prone to giving up large plays than in years past. And then the rest of their defensive uh, quality would indicate so that's something that we'll hopefully have, have a, a chance to take advantage of. But this team is really good. Offensively, they are number two in the country behind just Oklahoma, who they just beat. Um, so they're scary on both sides, as we are. Uh, and I think it's going to make a great matchup. Um, yeah, continuing on, uh, yes, yeah, Sam, uh, you know, 45-34 win there in the Orange Bowl on Saturday. To be honest, it, it wasn't that close. They were up 28 to nothing at one point there in the first half. I stopped watching at halftime. I'm going to have to go back and watch the rest of that game. But, uh, I mean, if there's anything that we can take away from this is uh, a couple things. One, we saw a team could put up points against Alabama. But, man, Alabama's a really balanced football team. They had uh, 328 yards passing in that game at 200 yards rushing. And that's a lot different than, than we've seen under, under other quarterbacks in recent history for Alabama. Yeah. I mean, after that 13 minute 
mark in the second quarter, they lost this game to Oklahoma. It was 34, 20 nothing after that, that uh, touchdown by Josh Jacobs in the second. And after that point, obviously they lost 34 to 17 throughout the rest of the game. But that first quarter definitely counts. And that's where Tua puts up his major numbers generally is early in games. Uh, so that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye out for is their quick starts. Well, um, and, and, uh, and also our slow starts, right? I mean, we exactly. About the offense getting off to a slow start. So I think our defense is going to have to help mitigate that by slowing them a little bit, <clears> but the <throat> offense is going to have to do their part by not sputtering out of the gates. Um, so we don't go down 14 to nothing like we did a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, that would be a killer situation for us to get ourselves in. Uh, Oklahoma can obviously speak to that. They were down 28 nothing, and then played very well the rest of the game. They showed weaknesses in Alabama's defense. Uh, their cornerback play looked pretty soft in this game. Um, C.D. Lamb absolutely dominated on the outside during this game. Uh, for Oklahoma, he ended up with eight catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. Um, their run defense up the middle was also pretty weak for Alabama. Uh, Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon were were getting some pretty good runs, as well as Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is a bit of a freak, so you can't really count on Trevor Lawrence doing the same things that Murray was able to do in the run game. Um, but those passes to the outside is something that Trevor is better than most quarterbacks in the country at, uh, and it's going to present an opportunity for us against Alabama as well. Yeah, so I think the difference, obviously, between this year's team and last year's team is that elite quarterback play that we're seeing out of Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, to be honest with you, that's what kept us in it um, in the 2015 game, and that's what, in part, helped us win it in the 2016 game. Um, and, you know, as much as I love Kelly Bryant, he, he just wasn't playing up to that level last year. And, again, it wasn't all his fault. The offensive line did not play a great game last year, but um, heading into this one, you got Trevor Lawrence, you've got what people are saying is the best offensive line in the Dabo Sweeney era um, at Clemson. And then, you know, why receiving core is, is much better this year between, uh, you know, Higgins and, and Rogers second year in the program. And then the emergence of Justin Ross. And then we all know about Hunter Renfro and then, you know, just ETN having another year under his belt. Same thing with Feaster and, um, you know, I think choice will have an impact in this game as well. So um, a much different look again on offense than this Clemson team had last year, uh, bringing with it a much, well, I'm not gonna say a much better defense, but it's a better defense. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, Oklahoma showed what a good offensive line looks like in this game. They kept Alabama to just three sacks and two quarterback hurries in this game. Uh, so if our offensive line can do the same, uh, that's going to be a huge advantage. Oklahoma had a pocket for Murray for most of the game. Uh, similar to our game, he was scrambling a bit early and pressing, trying to get uh, some more out of plays than he should have maybe. Uh, but he settled into a rhythm and, and really had a good second half against them. I think that Lawrence can do the same. Uh, and I think our line is capable of blocking as well as Oklahoma's did in this game. So it's going to be uh, an interesting matchup. This Alabama team, as we've said, is really strong across the board. Uh, their biggest weakness is probably their sec their special teams, just like us. Um, thank goodness. Thank goodness. That's um, the funny thing about the teams in this college football playoff. None of them had especially good special teams. And maybe Oklahoma did. Oklahoma did. Um, um, they had one guy who's incredible. Uh, I think he set the record for most points uh, in FBS history for a kicker 
in this game. Uh, Austin Siebert is his name. He also does their punting and their kickoffs. So he's a, a do-it-all special teamser. Jack of all trades. But uh, yeah, Notre Dame and Alabama and us, not super strong on special teams, uh, especially in the punting game for us in Alabama. It's pretty weak. And Hugel's been a little shaky this year. He missed a he field goal and an extra point in this game. Yeah, uh, the field goal is on him. Perfect snap, 40 yards, something you got to make. Uh, the extra point, a little him on not getting it up high enough probably, but <laughs> the uh, Notre Dame defense just went straight through our long snapper on that play. Uh, not the best block performance on it. Um, but yeah, special teams, obviously not a strong suit for, for either of these teams. Well, uh, that's something that killed us in the 2015 game. So you, you hope can, to see it can be the uh, game changer. Yeah. And so you hope to see it not be, um, it, you know, maybe you don't have an advantage on special teams, but don't let it kill you is what we're going to be looking out for. I mean, I think one, one thing to be said for Clemson special teams this year, there haven't been the turnovers on the punt returns, um, I hope you're knocking on wood while you say that, Ben. Um, I'm not a superstitious person, so I'm not. I'll let you do that for me. Um, we haven't seen any uh, really bad snaps, uh, losing some bad snaps on punts or yep. field goals. Snaps and holds have been solid. So, been solid there. So as long as you're not shooting yourself in the foot, um, I think we'll be okay. But I think, again, the offense is going to have to do their part to uh, move the ball down the field somewhat, at least to closer to midfield and not get stalled out deep in their own territory because, again, my my – uh, confidence Will Spires being able to to flip the field is not very high. Yeah, agreed. Uh, it's it's something that, like you said, we just need to be passable and solid. Um, and if we can, you know, not pin ourselves into a corner by giving them 20-yard punts, then we'll be in good shape. I think our team is strong enough to win an even matchup with Alabama. Uh, not every time, but maybe six out of 10. This is a coin flip type game. Um, and every little play on special teams and offense and defense is going to matter in the outcome. I think we're going to probably see another really close um, final score like we have in the last two matchups in, in cha- championships with Alabama. Um, it should be a lot of fun being there for this game. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And, you know, back in 2015, we went into that game not knowing if, if Clemson could hang with Alabama, but we exited that game knowing they could. We went into the 2016 game um, thinking Clemson had every um, – we, we could go toe-to-toe with Alabama and win that game, and certainly they did. little drop-off last year, but um, from our experience going back into this game this year, I, I totally feel like Clemson is right there at the same level as Alabama, and it's going to be a really good football game once again. Part four. Doesn't get old for us. It gets old for other college football fans, but it's not getting old for us. Were you rooting for Alabama to win? Because I wanted to play them, not Oklahoma. Uh, I wanted a good game. We've talked about that before. I, I guess I do want the the four-peat, uh, the rematch. I'm really thinking a bit more as the, this is the tiebreaker in the national championship matchups. Um, so I, I was rooting for that, but I did want to see Oklahoma show us where the chinks in the armor were. Uh, and I think they did a good job of that. So they gave us some, some scouting material and now we can go in and, and let Dabo and crew get this team ready to, to punch some holes in the Alabama, Alabama defense and win us a second national championship in three years. If Oklahoma and Notre Dame go head to head, who do you think wins neutral site? 
I think Oklahoma probably does. By how much? Um, Double digits? Uh, maybe around 10. Similar yeah. to how Alabama beat Oklahoma, I think, probably. It would be a high-scoring game, obviously, because Oklahoma has zero defense. But um, I think Kyler Murray is just better so you than... Think, you think, think Notre Dame might put up more than three? I, th- I hope so, against yeah. a horrible defense in Oklahoma. Um yeah, but Oklahoma I think, may not hold a team to to three for the remainder of the history of their program. Looking into the future, not something they're even trying to do really at this no. point, uh, which is fine because Lincoln Riley is a, a great offensive mind, and it's fun to watch. I mean, that's what college football fans like; they like scoring. And we got um, their defensive coordinator, so there you have it. Yeah, we'll we'll take Brent. You guys can have Lincoln, and um, we'll be in the championships hopefully. And there you have it. So, yeah, just another what's lining up. Obviously, it's already been a great year for Clemson football, but it, it hasn't gotten old for us yet getting back to the title game. So we're certainly looking forward to to making the trip down here from uh, San Francisco about an hour, hour and a half down to Santa Clara um, for the game next Monday. Um, you know, tons of festivities out here. Uh, check uh, with the Clemson Alumni Association uh, go to their website. They'll have all the information of where the festivities are happening down in San Jose, what, if anything, is happening um, up in San Francisco. So be sure to check with them. And again, reach out to us, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com, at clemsonpodcast on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we'll be around the entire weekend. We would love to meet some people, just as Northern California uh, Clemson club members, because, again, uh, nobody really pays attention to us much out here. Um, until something like this happens. So uh, certainly pretty cool, and we're looking forward to hosting and uh, uh, seeing this town, this city, this area be painted orange here uh, very shortly. Yeah, I'll be doing my part this week wearing as much orange as I can. Uh, Can't wait to see some people start filing in uh, from SFO and down in San Jose. Um, We're just, I feel super proud of this team, and I can't wait to play host to an opportunity to, to win another championship. It, it is a point of pride for us as a Clemson club in Northern California. And I think, uh, I hope people will enjoy their time out here and I hope we can all go away with a victory. Yeah. You know, this is uh, this is our moment to shine there, Sam. We've been working four hard years for this at the podcast. Well, you for about a year, but, uh, <laughs> I, I timed you were, it perfectly. You were a listener before that. So, uh, We'll give you credit, but yeah, uh, just uh, we, we continue to say it. Awesome time, uh, just to be a Clemson fan, and we appreciate everybody listening and tuning in week in, week in and week out. Uh, we will be back with a preview episode of some sort. Where we're still figuring that out. Uh, it's a possibility we may get crack the Kraken from ClemsonPause.com dot com um, uh, to help us preview the Alabama game. Then, of course, we will be back with a recap of that game, win or lose. Um, Probably uh, much sooner after the game if we win as opposed to uh, to us losing. But um, in either case, be patient with us because we're going to have to pull ourselves together after after the game on Tuesday or, or Monday um, going into Tuesday and then getting back to work. So uh, we'll do what we can to, to be back at you guys uh, as soon as possible after that game. Um, and then, of course, continue uh, to listen to us on the off season. We'll cover, uh, basketball. Sam and I will cover basketball for the most part. We'll cover baseball, all the, uh, the Clemson football recruiting stuff. Um, we'll be here for the most part throughout the year. So again, we appreciate everybody listening. Be sure to follow us and subscribe to us on, uh, whichever podcasting app you prefer. 
that ensures that when we push out a new episode that you should get a notification to your phone right away. So whether that's um, iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anything like that, be sure to subscribe and follow us. Um, and again, leave an iTunes review if you have the time. That's certainly appreciated. So um, awesome to be back in the national championship game. We look forward to hopefully seeing a lot of you guys out here. Um, we uh, enjoy doing this. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. And until next time, and as always, go Tigers. And I'm, so, I'm so happy for our family. It's not, it's not, this is not for just us. This is for the Taj Boyds, the Stephon Anthony's, the Grady Jarrett's, the New Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. Y'all built this. Y'all started this foundation. And all we did is build upon it. And we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby. It's coming home.